With Medical Memory recording hundreds of thousands of patients with their HIPAA-compliant mobile app, we felt it was relevant to start discussing the best practices in patient communication, especially now that so many providers are recording these patient interactions with video. My name is Julie, and I've spent 15 years working with physicians to strengthen their communication skills. Listen in as we learn tips from the industry's best in patient experience. How can we strengthen these patient and family conversations and help our nurses and providers optimize their time, especially now that the camera is on? So quiet on the set, roll camera. This is scene one, take one, patient. Now, action. Hi, I'm Julie Sukup with another episode of Take One Patient Podcast. I'm very excited to talk today with Melody Hartzler. Uh, she's a clinical um, pharmacist, and she also is the CEO of a very cool company called Farms to Table. Um, I actually researched and found her a little bit when working um, with my dad, and actually kind of starting to see some different options outside of just pure medication for him. Um, and I would love her first to really introduce herself, a little bit about her background, um, and kind of dive into what Farm to Table is um, and yeah. kind of what, what makes it a little different. Awesome. Well, thanks for having me. I'm excited to share uh, about our our process and and what functional medicine is. So um, my name is Melody, like she mentioned. Um, I also go by Dr. Hartzler in the clinical clinical space, but I am I have my doctorate of pharmacy from Ohio Northern University, and I have done um, a residency postgraduate at the VA in Columbus, Ohio, um, and that was a clinical training program that was focused on outpatient care. So um, the VA has been really progressive with that. And so pharmacists are involved in primary care teams, renal, te- renal care, um, home-based primary care, lots of other things. And so, um, so I took that and um, over my career, um, over the last like 12 or so years, I've been working in different family medicine practices, um, helping patients with chronic diseases, mostly diabetes, um, also became a pump trainer. Um, so I see patients via collaborative practice. So many states have collaborative practice agreements available for pharmacists to enter into with physicians or potentially nurse practitioners and PAs that allow us to adjust and and make changes, start new therapies, monitor therapies. Um, So Ohio has been pretty progressive with our ability to do that. So um, so I work alongside the primary care team um, and function as a a clinical specialist um, within that um, area as far as chronic disease. But over time, I have realized that a lot of chronic disease is not just, you know, you're not deficient in a medication, right? Um, Except with the exception, I guess, of type one diabetes, as far as being deficient in insulin. Um, But for the rest of the time, like we're not deficient in Prozac or deficient in, um, you know, um, statins or any of of those things. Um, Really, there's a lot of nutrition components to a lot of chronic disease. And so I started by just educating patients with diabetes about carb counting and and the Mediterranean diet. And and slowly through my own health journey, learned more about the relationship between gut health and the rest of the body as far as allergies and and immune function. And then um, as I started to learn more about that, started to pull in like the gut health connections to metabolic disease and started to incorporate that with my patients and even nutrient depletions, how those impact your mental health and anxiety and depression and, and some of the inflammation components. And so it's all really connected. And, and so a functional medicine approach, um, which is what we do at farm to table, we're a group of clinical pharmacists that focus on addressing the root causes of these chronic conditions. 
is we do that. We do this, that we look for the root cause. And so if someone has IBS, do they have IBS because they're missing a medication that stops, slows down or speeds up their gut? No, it's because there is some kind of, um, whether it's an allergy or an inflammation response going on. Um, it could be a bacterial imbalance, which is one of the most well-studied imbalances. So a lot of people with IBS, especially IBSD have what's called SIBO or small intestinal bacterial overgrowth. Um, or maybe they have issues in the large intestine with, with overgrowth of bacteria. Um, or maybe like candida or infections, uh, fungal infections. So, so addressing the root cause of the infection um, fixes the symptoms. And um, sometimes it's stress related. We talk about, I mean, every single podcast we ever release, we talk about stress and how stress impacts our health from a chronic disease standpoint. Um, it increases our cortisol, it decreases our digestive enzymes. Um, you know, we're not meant to be like running from a bear for the rest of our life, right? Where, you know, that response and that increased heart rate, decreased blood flow, to your, you know, parasympathetic, you know, state or that calming state, um, that is not meant to be all the time. And so, um, with our psychological stressors and lots of the things going on in the modern day world, we end up being stressed more than, than we should be. And that impacts just so many different things in our, in our health. And so, I think, um, you know, that, that aspect. So we use health coaches, um, in that aspect to help people really identify what are the stressors. Um, sometimes we use, you know, recommend psychologists or, or cognitive behavioral therapy or whatever that looks like. Um, so that's a big key of uh, patients with past trauma. Sometimes that is a, a block and in, in why they're not getting well. Um, and so that, again, we involve our, our, you know, whatever referral source we have in that person's community for um, cognitive behavioral therapy and sometimes EMDR, which is eye movement desensitization reprocessing therapy. Um, and so there's lots of different things beyond, you know, what our traditional medical model is where we just give drugs for, you know, treating these, these chronic conditions. Um, so nutrition, psych, um, you know, psych and, and psycho-spiritual, psychosocial um, things are really important. Um, the gut health piece, the, um, and even just the nutrient depletion piece, so many medications actually cause nutrient depletions. And so um, every person with a statin should really be on CoQ10 alongside their statin, CoQ10, 100 milligrams. Um, but there's other nutrient depletions that are less common that can really play out in, in people. And sometimes it depends on their genetics and, and how long they've been taking the medication and what other medications that are depleting similar nutrients um, they're taking. And I know um, you, your clinicians that are listening to this have probably seen med list of patients that are 20 plus medications. And so so when you add this, this nutrient is depleted slightly by this medication. Oh, it's not a big deal. But when you add 10 of those medications that deplete magnesium, then that can be a big deal for people. And um, magnesium is super important in the body. Um, iron is another thing. I mean, PPIs, I, there's millions of people on proton pump inhibitors and it's changing the way we digest foods. It's changing the way we absorb iron, it's changing our microbiome. And so um, just thinking about those things from a different perspective, like how can we actually get rid of your heartburn by addressing it with a nutrition, dietary, gut, you know, um, microbiome balance um, and help people to get off these medications so they can absorb their nutrients um, the way that they should be. Right. Well, and I think that was what was really cool about your company and the approach that you guys were going to is, you know, you're really assigned to a pharmacist, you know, yeah. who's going to be really saying, you know, these are the things you're taking and these are the mm -hmm. areas that you should be supplementing or, or looking more in your diet or counseling or whatever. And I thought, you know, that kind of bigger, broader view as, as you're, you know, saying functional medicine or, or not just giving a quick fix of a medication, but looking at a really taking the time to look at a bigger picture of a patient, um, to ensure that they're really, you know, not, sure. 
like paying Peter to pay Paul or whatever, like with yeah, their own body. Exactly. You know? Yeah. So many people get put on medications because it's, they have a side effect with one. So, okay, let's treat the side effect with this medication and then this medication and just snowballs into they come in and, and I've had patients, you know, dump a trash bag of things on the counter and say, I need all these refills. It's like, holy moly, like, yeah. how are you even walking like in here and driving and doing all these things when you're taking this many things and so much of it, I mean, Obviously, the American way is we want a pill for every ill. We want to just get better quick. And unfortunately, like to really get better, it's not a quick process. It's, I mean, it can be if some, depending on how long someone's been sick, but it does require effort from the patient on exercise, nutrition planning, um, you know, doing those stress reduction things, sleeping. I mean, that's a huge thing is just getting sleep. And sometimes it's like, well, people are paying us to tell them you need to sleep more. You need to de-stress. You need to do these things. But, um, but sometimes they need help in, in figuring out like how, how they, how they do that and how they implement that. But there's, we have so much data on if you get less than seven hours of sleep, you know, you have increased risk for hypertension, metabolic disease. Um, it, the list goes on. Um, and so, so importance of, you know, just getting that rest in this fast paced society where, you know, we're burning candles at all ends and I can be, um, you know, one of those people sometimes. Right. Um, and yeah. you know, you, have to take, you take yeah. a step back and say, you know, this isn't, this isn't worth it. And I need to take care of my body and, and get the sleep that it needs. And I mean, we have data on shift working that third shift, you know, people have less longevity, um, decreased lifespan, um, and, you know, hormone imbalances are super prevalent in that population. And so, I mean, some people have to work third shift. We have to have people at the hospital third shift. So, I mean, it's just, um, part of it, but I think, you know, supporting your body, however you can in that process with, with the nutrition and, and decreasing stress is super important. Sure. Well, and you kind of bring up a point and I think it's, it's interesting to think about is, um, you know, taking one medication away that may not be working and giving weird side effects, but here's another and here's another. What mm-hmm. do you think kind of is that culture? Not always, not all pharmacists, not all discharge nurses, but why do you think that is? Is it as far as like, let's prescribe something else? Do you think it's more of that we're learning more about like the, what, what is available outside of that? Or do you think it's a time constraint? Like, where do you think kind of that comes from? Or yeah. is it mostly a time constraint? And that's the gap you guys are filling is yeah. be discharged, but let us take the time to really help you yes. model this after. Yeah. I mean, I think part of it is a time constraint. So in the functional medicine model um, with or Institute of Functional medicine talks a lot about this is that, you know, we have to hear the patient's story. And a lot of times that story, you know, might take them like 45 minutes to tell me like from birth to now, like what is going on? When was the last time you felt well? Did your parents get divorced? And then you started having symptoms. Was there some kind of other trauma? Did you have a car accident? Like, what does that timeline look like for how this um, started to come to be? And certainly when you go to the ER or you go to the hospital or a family medicine, primary care visit, you're getting 15 minutes to tell them what is wrong with you. They can't connect all those dots from the past in that 15 minutes. And it's very much a, okay, this is what we need to focus on today. Even if you have 20 things going on, you can only focus on so many in that 15 minute appointment. And, um, ultimately the easiest thing for them to do is say, well, here's a medication, come back and, and, and tell me in two weeks if that works. Um, where at, and even at the discharge point, um, I think one of the challenges there is that the people that are caring for the patients in the hospital are not the people that are following up with them on the outpatient side. 
And like it used to be, it used to be your family medicine provider would come and round to the hospital, you know, write your orders and you would, you know, follow up with them later. And there's very few, there are still out there, but there's very few, you know, primary care internists that actually round and, and do the outpatient care. And the specialty side, we see that more still, but on the um, primary care side, we don't, or internal medicine side, we see more of the hospitalist model where the hospitalists are caring for you in the hospital. And then your team over here is caring for you in the outpatient side. Certainly it's better quality of life for those individuals, but for that continuity of care, um, it's a little bit challenging. And so I think when we're, when we're discharging, we're like, okay, this is, you know, medically what is going to stabilize you and get you home, but it's not really thinking about, and can maybe keep you from coming back. Um, but it's not really thinking about like long-term, like, is this the best thing for your health? Is this the, um, you know, most, you know, beneficial, you know, choice. And they don't have that relationship with the patient right. in right. that hospital in that short-term period to feel, yeah. to know, like, is that patient going to go home and drink, you know, two gallons of Mountain Dew or yeah. <laughs> four liters of Mountain Dew and come right back here if I don't give them this medication or this yeah. insulin or whatever the situation might be. Right. Um, so I think that's one of the challenges is that they're they're not in a, a long-term relationship when you're in that hospital setting. Um, I do think there's probably like the deprescribing piece um, at the med reconciliation you know, at the end is, is really important on that discharge is, okay, do we, do we need this long-term? So I had a patient that, um, I was trying to figure out why he was on a PPI. He had been on a PPI for like 10 years. I asked him, have you ever had heartburn? Nope. Never had heartburn. Okay. Have you ever had a scope that showed, you know, you had erosion or, you know, um, varus esophagus or anything like that? Nope. Nope. Never had that. Okay. Looking back in records, nothing is leading to any of those things. So finally, I find that this patient started a PPI in a hospital admission when he was in the ICU for something else. And so it was basically his PPI for stress ulcer prophylaxis that now he got discharged on and took for 10 years before someone questioned it. Wow. So those are the kind of situations that when we're at that discharge point to say, hey, like, is this person have heartburn? Did they come in on this medication? Yeah. Do they need to leave on this medication? Um, I mean, there's other simple things like people get discharged on a statin that's different than the one they have at home and they start taking both of them um, because the hospital formulary was different than their home formulary. I mean, I have most recent, my most recent practice that I was in, I was um, overseeing the transitions of care process from the family medicine side. So we would get the discharge summaries from the hospital and we would make the call within the 48 business day hours to, to help reconcile the meds. And so often, um, I think one of the other challenges is patients don't have, because they don't have that relationship, they don't have the trust with the hospital provider like they do with their family medicine provider. So half the time they're like, oh, I didn't do any of that stuff. I didn't do the stuff that the person at the hospital told me to do because I wanted to see what what Dr. So-and-so here at your office thinks. Yeah. And so that's challenging, right? The, the patient, you know, we're like, Hey, you need to do X, Y, Z. You need to pick up this prescription and, you know, move forward. And they, and they didn't even do it. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. um, and then sometimes that ends, ends up with them back in the hospital on a readmission. Sometimes, they're, you know, not getting the prescription at the pharmacy because it's costing too much. And the communication from the pharmacy back to a hospital is much more difficult than the communication to an outpatient facility. So I think one of the biggest challenges in, in all of this is just that continuity of care between all those, those, those players that are right. part of the care team. Right. Well, and as you said, I mean, even too, when you're getting discharged or that's fast and, and the pace that is a necessity in the healthcare system to just be able to provide the amount of patient care that's needed for 
the amount of providers that are needed. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I recognize that 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 you know taking like okay, let's take a step back and like tell me about you know they don't have right that. no and no and even in family medicine they don't either yeah. like. And it's interesting you say that because you, you almost kind of, you know, people typically, if you're going to be prescribed, like, um, and I don't actually know any, but like an antidepressant or anti-anything, I, I, I don't know for sure, but I feel like you would have to talk to somebody before you're just handed, you know, some of this medication, Mm -hmm. yet some of the other things we're just handing, you know, no problem when they could be related to that other aspect. And I think that that's one of the really cool things that you guys are kind of doing is, is looking at that whole whole piece yeah. to be like, you know, the goal is to not just be popping pills mm-hmm. forever. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, the other yeah, thing we... I think you hit really interesting on is, you know, taking that step back. Like if we were going to give advice, like, as we said, nobody has that 45 minutes, right. If we were mm-hmm. going to give advice or communication advice to, you know, a discharge nurse or a pharmacist or anyone that's kind of in that space where they're caught in a pattern where they're just go, 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 go. Um, and they only have, you know, the three to five minutes. Mm-hmm. What, what, what kind of would you suggest is even, um, is most important? Is it taking a step back and really looking at it? Is it giving the patient resources to go to or, or what, where do you, yeah. where do you see that as the communication aspect that could be improved? Yeah. I mean, the best thing is really like the communication with the patient. I know a lot of times we get list and we rec- reconcile the list from the pharmacy um, or maybe from the family medicine office and then the hospital, you know, does the thing. Um, but I find so often, at least in the hospitals around here, that there would be all kinds of medications on their discharge summary that the patient says have never taken. They've never taken or they weren't um, taking at the time. And so I think just the spending the time with the patient, they're the best. I mean, I will say that some patients aren't good historians and we have to rely on the list and they might even be able to communicate with you. Um, but if you can communicate with the patient, like trust what the patient says they're taking. And I think there's this, like, we don't want to take things off the list that like should be on there, but if the patient's not taking it, like it shouldn't be on their list. Right. I mean, we can communicate in a different way to say, Hey, like this was on your list, but they're saying they're not taking it. Make sure we pass on that information. But so often, I mean, there's just like old things. They were in the hospital for a, delivering a baby 10 years ago and they've got their meds still on there from, from yeah. that. And so, yeah. um, so yeah, so I think making sure that we are you know, doing a good job at um, really communicating with the patient when we can um, and circling in like the, one of the challenges with this environment of people going to multiple pharmacies is that they might get this med from this pharmacy and this med from this pharmacy and this med from this pharmacy. And sometimes we just contact one pharmacy to get a list. Um, so the patient again can be that person that says, Oh, I actually go to Meyer and Kroger and here because I get fuel points here and I get yeah, yeah, you yeah. Know, coupon here. So yeah, yeah, yeah. luckily the like gift cards for transferring from pharmacy to pharmacy <laughs> have like calmed down a little bit, but I had a situation, um, a neighbor of mine when I was in residency went to the hospital. Um, he ended up having rhabdo um, from a drug interaction, but it was because rhabdomyolysis where muscle breakdown and causing kidney, kidney damage. Um, but he had gotten a blood pressure medication called diltiazem from one doctor and a statin from another doctor and filled them at separate pharmacies. But the statin was on like the $4 list. So it didn't hit the insurance to alert this other pharmacy that um, he had that combination. But that combination is what resulted in his hospitalization um, because it was all this discombobulated, you know, getting one thing here, getting another thing here and people weren't, you know, communicating. So I think 
from an outpatient perspective, like we always have to be asking patients every visit and it's part of the process. But I think a lot of, I mean, I've worked with a lot of nurses and LPNs and MAs over the years. A lot of times they'll just ask the questions, pharmacies too, pharmacists, you know, technicians, do you have any medication changes? And patients might not even remember that they, oh yeah, I did have a medication. So they might say no. And I'm like, well, let me go through the list with you. You go through the list and they actually did have like several things that were not correct on your list. Um, So I think we just have to, I mean, remember that our job is to make sure this is accurate as possible. And it's not always going to be possible because there's, you know, a lot of things outside of our control and we don't have one master system for everything. But the most, you know, important thing is to like go through all the medications, not just say, Hey, are you still taking lisinopril? But are you taking lisinopril 10 milligrams once a day and make sure that, you know, that whole prescription um, is correct. Um, I see the hospitals again around here a lot that will have a different strength and then say like two tablets instead of one tablet but the patient isn't really taking it like that. And so that can be confusing um, just how the it got selected in the okay. system. Um, so just going through in detail with the patient, I think will identify a lot of, a lot of things. And I, I don't know how each person's discharge process yeah. is structured. Do they have time to talk to the patient? Um, hopefully um, if they're doing discharge counseling. Um, but I think even at the forefront in the ER, you know, doing a better job about figuring that out with the patient, um, is really helpful. So if places aren't engaging the pharmacy team for the ER um, portion and are just doing it on the back end, maybe maybe starting to engage the pharmacist in the ER um, for MedRec or a part of the pharmacy team. I mean, some hospitals will use pharmacy interns to do that. Some hospitals will use pharmacy, um, pharmacy technicians that have been trained in medication reconciliation. So, yeah. Um, so yeah, so doing it from the whole, you know, whole loop there. Yeah. And it's interesting you say that too, because even like clarifying and getting more information and clear, like clearing that up and clarifying the medication could be, could be even done originally, even kind of by a nurse. I mean, if you're asking, you're trying Mm -hmm. to kind of clarify. And it's interesting you say that because, you know, medical memory just partnered with one of our hospitals where Mm -hmm. they're so strapped on the pharmacy. And he actually started sending video messages um, using our app to the patients about things oh. once we have the information. He's like, I can't yeah. go, but I feel like I still need to have that conversation. Yeah. You going need to room that. to room to room was mm-hmm. super hard. But so he would sit, like look at the medications and then have almost like a two, three minute video conversation. That's great. They could watch it, watch it when they got home. But yeah. it was it almost he's like, you know, not going room to room to room gave me an yeah. extra two minutes to educate. Yeah. Like, hey, there sure. are different options like what you have or mm-hmm. nutrition options or, or mm-hmm. things that you should look at in, yeah. in conjunction with that. And so starting yeah. to use some of the, you know, text either, you know, send that information to you like, here's a mm-hmm. custom or even like videos of like, Hey, this is a general information that you should know about taking cardiovascular medication. Here's sure. all the risks, benefits and all that, which a few of our pharmacists have even started doing so that at least the patient can go home and say, okay, I, I need to do a little more digging and here's resources like your company that are out there um, that can do it. And you guys do that a ton in your podcast of, you know, here's, uh, I'm even looking at it. It's like, you know, foundation yeah. of health nutrition, of sleep, of movement, of stress, and all of mm-hmm. those things that could provide a lot of mediums to maybe either minimize or get off some of, some of the medications yes. that they're yes. on. 
Yeah. I mean, ultimately what we're trying to do from a functional medicine standpoint is support like the biochemistry of the body and how the body is supposed to function. So if we have too much of something or too little of something like that's throwing off, off the balance, um, which is one of the reasons why pharmacists have a little bit of an advantage in this space is because we've done a lot more biochemistry in our background than a lot of other healthcare professionals. Also from the supplement standpoint, like pharmacology is similar to how, you know, it's, it's all how does this interact? with receptors and, and, and produce an effect. Um, so do, you know, deep diving into supplement interactions too, is there's, you know, we have more limited data on, on how supplements interact with medications, but definitely, um, spent a little bit more time talking about resources for that than, than some of the other healthcare professional, um, groups. Awesome. Well, that is so, you've been so informative. And I think even what you're saying is for anyone who's kind of falling in the same communication pattern with patients is taking that step back, have a nurse take Mm -hmm. a step back to just really look at it. Um, And even just vocalizing, hey, there's a ton of resources that are out there that you should look at, you know, to, to kind of see different ways of, of, of managing this whole piece versus just sure. managing this one prescription. So, yes. um, thank you so much. Yeah. For thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Um, farm to table is what it's called. It's awesome. Yes. P-H-A-R-M. Yes. Farm. That's why I like that farm. I should. Yes. P-H-A-R-M dot life. Um, okay. Yeah. Farm to table dot life is what it is. Yep. And the link to our podcast, our podcast is called table talk, but a link to our podcast is on the page as well. Awesome. Thank you so much for your time. I so appreciate you. And, uh, we'll, we'll talk to you. I'm I'm sure soon. Okay. Thanks. And cut. Thank you for joining us on this episode of take one patient. We hope you have a nugget or two you can implement into your practice with your patients today. For more information about recording your visits with a HIPAA compliant app, go to www.themedicalmemory.com or you can follow me on Instagram at Julie Recording Doctors. Thanks again.